Amen. I can't begin to stop on all that God has done for me. Now, where I'll be here all day today, all day tomorrow, and through the week. And then I pass it over and say thanks to God because he's been more than wonderful to me. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Southfield, for standing over God's people. It's an honor, it's a privilege every time I come because I realize what an awesome responsibility is to break God's word. Yeah. I enjoy it, yet I show the thing for the heaven of the the right way. So I'm honored to bring God's word before you. Get right into it this morning, what's happening in the Luke 9, 18 and 22.
for instance, there was uh, some years in this country segregation in the schools. You know, certain couldn't attend school here because of the color of your skin. So you couldn't go there because of the color of your skin. And so there was a great debate going on. And there was argument to how we should handle this situation. And after a while, back in 19, I think it was 64, Lyndon Johnson decided, well, we're going to put an end to this, at least legally speaking. And so the Civil Rights Act was enacted. Now all people can attend all schools in the whole. You just can't go there any way you want to go, at least in theory. Now, I think that debate might still be going on somewhere. Amen. Uh, but I would argue that if we were to be intellectually equal, then we should be afforded the same rights as anybody else. But that's another issue we're not to discuss today. But nonetheless, that's the debate going on. And still, there are more debates. There was one debate, a theological debate, put forth by one Frederick Nietzsche some years ago. His argument was that God is dead. Now, I'm not sure what he meant by God is dead. I know what he meant theologically speaking. But what he was pretty much saying that if God of the Christians is not the same God that he knows. You see, he was saying that the God of the Christians is far removed and that he created mankind and stepped away. He was, he was a beast. I'm not sure that Nietzsche was correct in saying that. Because he was saying that God didn't deal with man directly anymore. But I heard a song some years ago. A song that's true, I think mean, they called themselves the Mighty Clouds and Joy. And when the writer began to look around, he began to see some things going on in the earth. He, he looked at the flowers in Carolina. He, he, he looked at the wind blowing in Carolina. And he sat down and thought about some things and said, Well, wait a minute now. If God is dead, what makes the flowers move? Mm -hmm. He began to pose these questions. If God is dead, what makes summer come in June? If God is dead, tell me where his body lies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. They got personal with the thing. He got real quick. He said, I'm glad he lives. Yes. He lives. He said this several times. He lives, he lives. Mm -hmm. If God is dead, Nietzsche was wrong. God is not dead. But the song was he couldn't stop dead. He said, I can feel him moving through the tree. And in the breeze, mm -hmm. I can see him shining through the night and the stars that shine so bright. Mm -hmm. If God is dead, he got no personal with this time. If God is dead, then what makes my life worth living? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad I know he lives. He got no personal with this thing I He lives. He lives. You know what? I got to stop for just a minute. Because I've been through my life this little while on, I gotta tell you, I'd rather be a Christian than anything else in this world. Right. I live because of Christ that lives inside of me. Yeah. So I would argue that God that Nietzsche saw is not the same God that I serve. Yes. The reason being because my God lives, yes. not just in the breeze, mm. but it lives inside of me. I would argue that my God is not dead because I look around. And I see people that choose to serve him. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I cannot, I will not, I elect not to serve a God that is dead. So if I'm serving a dead God, 
then my service is in vain. All right. But if God is dead, what makes my life worth living? I'm so glad I know he lives. He lives and he continues to be. What is the debate for? And all of this is a debate about the point of view. Up one for the Christians. We want that one. He lost. And then there's some more that makes more across all of that. Something kind of turned my holy and righteous stomach. And one of those scenes that they have morals, morally speaking, is this idea that homosexual, and I hate this term coupled with them, marriage is okay. So long as those parties engaged in it love each other. I got a problem with that. Because you see, I don't find anywhere in scripture where homosexuality is condoned. I just don't find it. But anyways, these people decided it's okay to, for these same-sex couples to engage in this thing called marriage. Oh, I got a problem with that. You see, marriage is the most holy union. Yes, it is. Sanctified by God. Yes, and when you have this illicit behavior, it nullifies God's word, and I don't think I can agree with that. But certain states have decided to involve themselves in this, in this movement, in this issue, in regards to really, and I'll just come out and say it, what purpose what to do with themselves. But I found a scripture in the Bible. Because I found most of my scriptures. Over in Romans 1, 26 through 27. For this cause, it says, God gave them up unto a vile affection. For even their women did change their countries in which they, uh, and that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the countries of the women, in their dust, one towards another. Nice. Men working with men, yes. that which is unseen, mm. yeah. and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, yes. which was me. It's high time that Christians got involved in this debate and stood up for what was right. Yeah. It is high time that this quiet, moral majority got a little bit loud and get involved and say, no, we're not having this time. But no, we're going to sit down and be passive and say, well, it's all right. Well, no, I can't agree with that. Because it's not all right. Because the argument is against it. The word of God says you all in the zone. So God says homosexuality is wrong. I'm going to stand on God's side and say it's also wrong. Up to for Christians. But you know, it's beginning to reach scripture. And I go back to Genesis, and there was another debate. I found in the Garden of Eden, according to the scripture, a certain young lady named Eve. And she had received instructions from her husband not to eat fruit of a certain tree. But then they come along this little fellow they call Satan, this little spiritual one, in a form of a serpent. And he began to talk to Eve. And he says, I don't need the thing, Chuck, you're not going to die. Right. And Eve thought about the thing, and she says, you know, I talked to my hubby over here and he said, that's not a good idea to eat that fruit. Because he said, God said, I mean, he said, ah, don't you worry about that. Now you're not going to really die. That's not what's going to happen to you. And so the debate went on for a little while. I don't know how long they conversed with each other. Uh, but after a while, you see, he stood strong at first. But she began to bow to the pressure. She ate the fruit. 
she lost that How about when she lost that description in Genesis 3 and 6? And when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was present to the eyes, and the tree would be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. All again, all that glitters is not gold. That's because it was good, doesn't mean it's good for you. I've been eating down at the hallway. Because you see, every way well, she didn't die to me right there. There's a minute for her from God right there on the spot. Mm -hmm. Because why? She disobeyed the mandate of God. And as a result, she died. Yeah. See, because death is not necessarily a thing that you do in your physical body. Death is separation from God. Mm -hmm. Because she chose to give in to a lie. She chose to listen to the enemy. And then it comes a big debate. You all know the story. You've read it, you've probably read it a million times about Elijah on Mount Carmel. It was a little bit that they go on back in that day. See, because they were trying to figure out who was really God. Was Baal God? Or was it God of all God? And, and so Elijah began to call some people together. And he began to talk to them. He says, All right, I'll tell you what. We're going to have a showdown here on Mount Carmel. We'll see if we can figure out just who this God is. And whoever God answers by fire, let this God be God. Right. And so, and so they, they went out to, to Mount Carmel and, and they got 450 of Baal's prophets. And I gave them the first shot. He said, Tell you, you go in and you go to the cup and do what you got to do. To get your God Baal to answer you. So he can answer by fire. And so they went and they prepared the, 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 the sacrifice. And, and after a while, the prophet Baal began to call on their God. But there was a problem. Their God didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. 450 against one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they began to call the more. But there was no answer from this one called Baal. So the Bible says that watching they began to separate them from the morning till noon time. They were out there on this mountain just calling on this guy who could not answer anyone. And so the Bible says that knowing that that God wasn't going to answer, he says, well, he must be asleep. Call him a bit louder and wake him up. Yeah. And so the guy called us a little bit louder. That didn't work. The Bible says again, well, I'll tell you what. Maybe he's on a far journey talking to somebody else. Call us a bit more loud. And so the guy called all the more loud. Bell didn't stir. Mm -hmm. He didn't ask because he couldn't ask. That's right. And then after a while, the day kept moving along, and pretty soon it came close to evening time. And still, these types of bell were up there now dancing on the altar and cutting themselves all kinds of crazy foolishness. Mm -hmm. All to get the attention of a gun who could not answer. That's right. Still, no answer. Here it is now of evening time. And it says, all right, I'll take you what you've done your thing. You've been here for a while now, and you didn't, you didn't holler out, and you didn't cut yourselves, and you're bleeding and carrying on. I tell you what. He called his people together. He said, I tell you what, let's fix this altar. And so the people got together and repaired the altar that was broken down. And then they got the sacrifice. They put the sacrifice on, and he liked to dress the sacrifice. 
But as I tell you what, we're not done with this same thing. Tell you what, go get some water. Of course, get a double trench around the sacrifice by now. And pour some water on this here sacrifice. And pour some water over there. He said, all right. And they pour some water. They said, go do it again. Mm -hmm. All right, if you say so. And they did it again. Mm -hmm. But I just said, no, no, that's, that's not enough water. I tell you what, let's do this thing just one more time. And so once more the people got together and they poured water around this, this sacrifice, around this boat that was just ready for our folks to sacrifice for God to swim in the fire. And Elijah, knowing the God that he was going to serve, began to pray. And you'll find that prayer over in 1 Kings 18, 36-37. And it came to pass at the time of the offering. Notice that. I think that's interesting. It wasn't just in those time of the day. There was a time set aside for the offering. Mm -hmm. See? Mm -hmm. And he had to pray at the time set aside for the offering. Mm -hmm. Then he asked you the prophet came in and said, Go, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant. And that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. I, I will remind you that the prophet of Baal was out there all day long, hollering and screaming and carrying on, and dancing on that altar, and cutting themselves up, making themselves. All to answer to a God that, that could not and would not answer. Mm -hmm. Now comes Elijah, full of his holy dominion, knowing good and well that he didn't have to cut himself. Knowing he had to holler all day long, because he didn't die by now at the time of sacrifice. And so he, he, he just prayed a simple prayer. Nothing fancy. He didn't dance on the altar. In short, he didn't cut himself. But he did talk to the God of all. Mm -hmm. What happened then? The God of all answered by fire. Yeah. And when that God answered by fire, he didn't just burn the bullet that was there for sacrifice. God didn't stop there. Right. Uh, but he burned off. He got to mention the fact that he also put those 12 rocks in the the drum, trying to Israel. They were placed there too. The stone should say. But it lift up the sacrifice, lift up the altar, lift up the twelve stones, lift up all that water that was poured around it. Mm -hmm. And look at here, it lift up the dust that was around the altar. Mm -hmm. All right. Come on now. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about that God that has his backfire and has the one, two, and living one. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's funny, though, because you see a lot of Christians don't like that whole punishment. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and, and what happened after this? He like said, it's all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. All you false prophets, come here. Uh -huh. He told people, don't let them escape. Right. Kill them all. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happened? He like to scoop every single one of them because they were false prophets. Yeah. Number three, children of God. We want that to tell <laughs> But this takes us back to our original text of the week. See, Jesus was there praying. 
And that day, and I let me make this preface here real quick, because Hellenism was, a, was in full force back then. And what Hellenism was was a big culture whereby they recognized all sorts of crazy things. One thing they recognized was, uh, or considered to be true, was reincarnation of the deity. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so when Jews began to ask these people at this point, he actually did not pray for the people. A whole other people said that hey, Well, some figured that Elijah had come back. Mm -hmm. Well, we know from the word of God that there is no reincarnation. Others said, well, surely he must be John the Baptist. You know? Mm. You know? He wasn't John the Baptist. Nor was he another dead prophet. And so this is why they answered this way, because they figured mm -hmm. that there had to be some great thing going on outside of the norm. Mm. But then he turned and said, no, no, I'm not all these whole things. He said that I am. But Peter said, you are Christ. You are the Christ of God. But, but here comes the real debate at hand today. Who do you say that Jesus is? How do you see this Jesus that, that some years ago suffered atrocities that he didn't have to suffer? Was beaten with a cat of nine tails just so we might live. Who do you say that he is? Is it just some great prophet? Or is he truly the Son of God? Who is this Jesus? But I must go back before I even get into all that right now. I can't go back to another prophet in the Old Testament. If you allow me to just a minute. We almost done. Am I saying that they're pretty good to go? Yes, yes. We're going to just go meet right now, right? The table stepping is in the rosy in the back here. But over in Joshua chapter 24, there was something else going on. There was another thing going on in Joshua. See, because the people of God had, they began to get a little wishy-washy in their lives about who God was. Some weren't really sure what was going on. And so Joshua had to kind of set the record straight. He had to let the people know that this is who the God was in Israel. So he holds a point to the if you read down, I'm not going to take them to Florida this morning but today, but if you go and read down in 24 and 15, as before I get to that, God had to remind the people through his servant Joshua what he had done for all his people. He talked about Abraham, how Abraham had been delivered from his father's land and come across the flood. He talked about the children of Abraham. And God said, I've done all this for you through his servant. But you want to serve another person. You want to serve another God that doesn't exist. What has God done for you? But you choose to serve another God. Mm. Did God give you life today? Yes, he did. But you want to live according to somebody else's statues. I wonder if Buddha could give you any life. I wonder if Muhammad could give you any strength in your body. I wonder. Because you see, God made out all that he did for his children, and yet some still be better. You remember the spirit of the children of Israel that were going, as they left one Egypt, and they were going to the promised land, they got rebellious. And after a while, they began to say, why do you bring us out of this mess? The children of God tend to be double time to time. But what God will you serve? And you'll find that those same people that God delivered built an idol mm -hmm. with their own hands. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I wonder what God will serve, knowing what God has done for us. I speak many things when he's done for us, but I don't want to know. I can tell you about all the things he's done for me, because I can't. It's impossible. But I can tell you one thing, because of him, I live. 
and I move, and I have my being. So if I had that, I feel like all that I need to stand for exceptionalism.
choose you this day whom you will serve. This day whom you will serve. Amen. Amen. Amen.